This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Tim Slee, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you. Tim Slee is an Australian journalist uh, with Wonderlust. As an author, Tim's award include the 2006 US Publishers Weekly Book Life Prize for Fiction, the Allen and Unwin Inc. Prize for, the sh- for Short Fiction, and most recently the HarperCollins Banjo Prize for Australian Fiction for his novel, Taking Tom Murray Home, which is what we're here to talk about today. That's pretty. That's a nice collection of prizes, isn't it? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been fun. There was a long time between drinks. I won the uh, short story prize when I was about uh, 30 and then uh, went off into the world and had a family and didn't start writing again until 2015. Yeah, well, there you go. It doesn't leave you, they tell me. Mm. I mean, I don't know, but that's what I've heard. Um, Tim was born in Papua New Guinea to Australian parents who both came from sheep country in South Australia. Tim has lived in Adelaide where he worked for the Stock Journal that must have been riveting. <laughs> oh, no, it actually was. I mean, it was. I, I was 17 years old. They gave me a car and a, wow. map and a map and sent me out into the world to interview cockies. Wow. So it was fantastic. Okay. Um, he worked for the Attorney General's Department as well. Tim also lived and worked in Canada and Denmark, which is where you live now, is yeah, that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Copenhagen. Even when based in other countries, Tim still calls Australia his emotional home base. Tim has also written and self-published several manuscripts and writes for the charity uh, for charity under a pen name FX Holden. I want to talk about that connection with home mm. because this this book, uh, taking Tom Murray home, is quintessentially Australian, mm-hmm. right? How long has it been since you've lived here? Uh, we lived here until. 2010, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, went back to uh, Denmark. My wife is Danish. Right, yeah. so you've been away for mm. 20 years. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. At least, yeah. yeah. Well, well about. 10 years now. Oh, 10 years, right, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, and do you call yourself Australian? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah See, I, don't I, can th- even, I, don't... I can even hear a Danish accent. Oh, well, that would be... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good going. I don't, I, I don't know, but uh, um, when I'm on aeroplanes, people mostly think that it's an English accent, which is annoying. Yeah, because it is. It has yeah. a European slant. Yeah. Okay, because I, um, I mean, that's the migrant story, isn't it? Mm. In mm. a way, you know, even though you're probably an expat, but you know, same same. And I sometimes wonder, you know, what language do you dream in? What mm. culture do you dream in? Yeah, I think. You dream in every language, or I do, um, and uh, I quite often don't even realise what language I'm speaking. I speak Danish. Do you? And um, the other day I was reading a book, and uh, there was a word in there. It was a it was a book about an air force pilot, and uh, the um, the word was escadril. And I kept thinking to myself, why the heck are they using that word for squadron? It's not. He's a squadron pilot. Mm. And then I realised the book was Danish. 
So uh, well, that's why realize, they were using it. Yeah, I didn't even realize I was, I was reading a Danish book. So you don't even... Uh, I love that, the yeah. seamlessness. A couple of years ago, I was in LA and I interviewed an Australian writer. I can't remember her name now. And she was married to an American producer. And she was writing, or she is writing, really quintessentially Australian fiction. Hmm. And I think it's because she was homesick. Yeah. No, but I think that's part of it. The further you get from Australia, the sharper things become when you're looking back at it because you quite often, you, 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 you smell the smells and you hear the sounds and, and the accents and stand out and, and you're looking at things from a distance. So you're more objective about them and more appreciative. Actually. Peter Carey's the same, isn't he? That's what he says. Yeah. Mm. yeah he, he says that himself that, uh, he feels Australia more living where he does in New York. Mm. Mm, isn't that interesting? Okay, so tell me um, the life that led to writing. So you were born in Adelaide, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, talk to me about that and growing up and how it is that you came to be a storyteller. Mm, my father's a journalist. All right, and, well, that's a good uh, start. It was, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I just remember all these nights of uh, of growing up um, with him at the table bashing away at a typewriter. Mm-hmm. And uh, that Those was... were the days. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what people, that's what I thought people did for, for a living. Yeah. And uh, so then I became a journalist and uh, that's what I did, um, yeah. just sitting at the table bashing away. And this was in the days when newsrooms were a little bit noisier than they are today. Mm-hmm. Um, and busier, I'd imagine. Yeah, a lot busier, a lot more journalists. And, uh, and uh the environment was really, um, uh, it was smoky, it was noisy, it was loud, and it, it taught me to write absolutely anywhere, mm. um, which is why today I can write in uh, airports, I can write in hotel lobbies, I can write at concerts, it doesn't matter where I am. Do you know, recently um, I went back and, and watched um, All the President's Men mm. with Robert Redford. and the, one wa- of the Watergate book. The Watergate, yeah. 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 And what was... I mean, I love the film and it's probably the second or third time I've seen it. However, what was really um, uh, noticeable to me was that on his desk was just a telephone and a typewriter mm. and nothing else. Yeah, yeah so, no distraction. No distraction, but also they use those tools to create great stories. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. now we've got everything. We've got social media, we've got computers, we've got everything, mm. and the stories really haven't changed all that much. No, they? that's right. But when, when I don't know what how other people write, but when I write, it, it is just an, it's an iPad and a keyboard, mm. um, and you can take that anywhere and you can sit anywhere and do it. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, not. Yeah. It's actually no different to a typewriter. No, it isn't, is it? Mm. Okay, so tell me about that. So when, at what point did you start uh, travelling? Like, you know, uh, when did you leave Adelaide? Mm. Um, so I finished at the Attorney General's Department and I had a, a year's leave without pay. And uh, How did you score that? Uh, well, they didn't want to. They didn't want to say goodbye, and they uh, they were kind enough to say, "Look, have a think about it." Um, Remind me what you were doing at the I Attorney was, General's office. Yeah, I was in the Attorney General's um, Department Legal section. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And Reporting or just as a communications person. Right. Yeah. I get it. And that's uh, a whole other area, isn't it? Yeah, Government okay. and communications. Yeah, especially that particular area. Yeah. And. Uh, so then I was just traveling and I was traveling around uh, Vietnam and uh, then went to Europe and, and so on and I was writing as I traveled. So you were writing, um, were you writing non-fiction or were you writing fiction then? Uh, fiction, yeah, yeah, just fiction. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, and so tell me where to from there. Um, well, then I met my wife in in Denmark, and mm-hmm. uh, she said, oh, "So well, you went to Europe as well?" Yeah, I went yeah. To, to Europe. I met her in Asia, and she said, "Come over to Denmark," and I said, "Sure." And when my, when I got there, she said, "Why don't you try and find a job?" Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm a journalist who. And how old were you around that time? Around thirty. Yeah. Wow. And. Uh, I said, sure, no problem, because I was convinced there was no chance I could get a job in Denmark. Yeah. It was a tiny country where they only had one... They're still news- a tiny country. Yeah, but where, where they really weren't multinational, and there was one international company there. Yeah. Um, and I got a job with them, unfortunately. Yeah. And <laughs> were you, could you speak Danish at no, the time? No, not when I got there. No. Not when you got there? No, it took about a year. Is that all? Yeah, it's not that hard a language. It's like... It's like speaking Shakespeare, actually. Really? You've got to turn everything in your head. So when you say, um, uh, I don't want to do that, you say, that will I not do. Right. Um, so it's very much like uh, like Shakespearean English, the like way that they speak. Like a formal language. Yeah, very. Yeah. Very. Mm. I often think of Princess Mary, how she had to learn the language. Yeah, she did a fantastic job. Didn't she? Mm. Yeah, I mean, she, she, she is, you know, giving speeches and all sorts of things. So yeah. become completely fluent, probably like yourself. Yeah, yeah. So when you started working for that company, you spoke no Danish, mm. but they were prepared for that. Yeah, yeah well, they were uh, looking for people who were actually English speaking. Right. Um, this was at the days when they were, I think the company was about 5,000 people globally. Now it's 45,000. Oh, wow. Mm. Okay, so tell me about, see, I know you're 30, but that really is kind of getting a bit older, isn't it, about making decisions about where you want to live in your life. Yeah, yeah. And I've always felt the emotional attachment to where I come from. Mm. I mean, I have lived in London, but it is, I've always been drawn to coming home. Mm. Talk to me about that and those feelings. Yeah, they're big decisions. It was, and it was tough. I was voted by my friends the guy least likely to ever leave Adelaide. (laughs) And, <laughs> so they were wrong. You yeah. didn't bet on that. No, we didn't, unfortunately. <laughs> so now shame. I've been around the world fifty, fifty times with, mm. um, yeah, with different airlines, and I think uh, uh, it was just the fact of taking that first step um, that's mm. the hardest. And mm. then, uh, of course, I'll always miss Australia, and I, we will come back here one day again. Will you? Oh yeah. So that decision to stay in um, Denmark. Was it Copenhagen at the time? Mm. Okay, so talk to me about that and the influence that that might have had on your work in terms of being a writer. It's a fantastic culture for writers. They um, they are voracious readers. Uh, it's a, a city that's built on public transport. Everyone catches buses, everyone catches trains and uses the metro. Um, so it's a, a city of readers. And so even though there are only 5 million people in the entire country, uh, I'd say that any one day there are 4 million people reading books. Mm, and wow. uh, and they're fantastic uh, uh, publishing culture. So there are four or five different um, publishers. And uh, if you w- are, have a story inside you, uh, then there's someone who will publish it for you. And they don't, everybody there has a, a job. <laughs> so writing is a B job. I think I know maybe two public, uh, two writers in the whole of Denmark who are full-time writers and they write that Scandi Krimi. Uh, uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Have you been drawn to writing that or? Uh, no. Uh, talk, no. Talk, talk I love to reading some, it. Oh, so do I. And I love watching it. Talk to, um, 
Tell us about it, because some of our listeners might not know. Yeah, the the whole Scandinavian crime genre, um, I think it probably started in Sweden, but uh, you see it in Norway and Denmark and Finland as Finland, well. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it comes from these uh, amazingly stark landscapes um, that they have up there, and uh, they're lonely and they're dark, and uh, it is actually scary to be out in the snow and the ice on your own. Oh, I can imagine. And, um, and, and it's for a long part of the year, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, long dark nights yeah. uh, where it'll get dark at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and then the sun doesn't yeah. come up until 10 the next morning. Yeah. Um, on the other side of it, they have these beautiful pale summers. So um, so even though it's summer in, and it's warm, the sky is sort of eggshell blue and it's light until 1 a.m. It doesn't get dark. Uh, and uh, and so the, the landscape and the culture are an incredible part of it. And it is kind of eerie. Um, and it lends itself beautifully to uh, to crime stories. Mm. Um, Joe Nesbo was probably one of the first ones that I'd heard about. Oh, and Henning Mankell as mm. well. Yeah. Where's he from? He's from over there. Mm. Anyway, um, and and crime has distinctively been the the leading genre there. Um, have you been drawn to write that? No, not at all. I think uh, I think. As I said, I, I love reading it. Um, there's enough in the newspapers, actually. Yeah. When you, do you I mean, think it does Den it really happen? Well, Denmark is the place where this uh, guy with the U-boat. Did you hear about him? And the journalist. Yeah. Yes. So, the, so he invited a journalist on board mm. his own personal submarine. I mean, where, where does that happen anywhere? And then killed her and cut her up into pieces and then threw her over the side and Terrible. sunk his own submarine. Yeah. And crawled to shore and tried to convince people that there'd been an accident. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And, and didn't tell anyone there was the journalist on board and so on. This happens, so you don't yeah, even. Yeah, that happened. You don't. It? You don't even need to uh, to read I about it. I wondered why fiction. she she went on her own to something like that. Well, she'd be trying to get an interview with him for a long, a long time because time. he was a rockets ro building rockets and and so on. Very interesting maniac, obviously. Mm. Murderer. Is yeah. he in jail? Yeah, I he is in jail. So. I'm allowed to say he's. How oh, good. <laughs> um, do you think there's an undercurrent of crime there, more so than anywhere else? Well, they have a good uh, gang culture. Um, and in, in 
Yeah. Denmark. In Denmark, yeah. Uh, so the year that I arrived there, the, the motorcycle gangs were blowing each other up with rocket propelled grenades and shooting each other with uh, machine guns. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty good crime culture. At the moment in Copenhagen, I know you're going there for a holiday. Don't so scare I'm a little me. Bit to, but <laughs> Don't there have been, been 11 bombings in the last year. Wow. And, uh, no one has been hurt. They're blowing up things like the tax office. Um, uh, well. <laughs> Police post boxes, that yeah. kind of thing. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that that's part of the right-wing movement that we're seeing all over the world? No, I think it's purely gang culture. Oh, is it? Yeah. Is I it, mean, it, it is a conservative culture and uh, they are anti-immigration and they do have some, some very uh, vocal uh, right-wing politicians that, that live in Denmark, but they're not the ones who are uh, behind this kind of violence. It's pure gang culture. Right, okay. Well, thanks for the warning there. I'll be very, very careful. Um, okay, so then tell me how we came to writing this book or how you came to being published firstly. Mm -hmm. um, well, I heard about the competition for um, for the Banjo Prize. Uh, Google's an amazing thing. Yeah, it's good that way. So yeah. even though you're sitting in Denmark, you can find out about uh, about things like that. And I had various ideas in my head for, for writing a very Australian novel. And then I saw the deadline for this. Why? 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 Because as an, as an Australian um, person living away from home, and if you're interested in writing, isn't that what you want to write about? I did, anyway, um, is to write an Australian story. And uh, this was the perfect chance. That's what they wanted. Yeah. And uh, I had some notes, but that was it. And, and uh, I had five months to write it. And right. So I got stuck in. Yeah. And then you sent it in. Yeah. 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 And uh, and was completely convinced that I wouldn't hear anything. But then, uh, yeah, obviously yeah. They, the phone call came. Yeah, obviously the phone call did come. Um, have you written a book in Danish? No, I could never do that. No, the, my grammar is terrible. My vocal Danish is fine. My verbal Danish is fine. But right. But the grammar is it's very complicated. So you can mumble your way through it, but you can't fake it on paper. Right. Would you think? Would could you see it being translated? I would hope so. Yeah. yeah, I think it would carry. Um, yeah. Obviously, I've got a lot of Danish friends who've read it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and uh, and they have no trouble. It's mostly dialogue based book, so yeah. um, it's a lot of conversation, and yeah. uh, so there's not uh, it's not difficult. There's some slang in there, which is obviously difficult for them, and that would have to be yeah um, smoothed out. It's um, I mean, you probably know this, but a lot of um, Australian writers are being exported quite successfully overseas at the moment. I don't know how far and wide, but certainly to um, the UK and. Yeah. to the US. And I often wonder, say, for instance, I don't know if you've read her, Jane Harper. Mm. Um, the Dry. The Dry, how that translates, because it mm. really is, I think, quintessentially Australian. I mean, the landscape is Australian. Yeah. It's, you know, when you're reading that book, you feel that you're there and you're feeling it. Mm. And so, and I guess it's really about the translator and, and what a good job they yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. Guess. Is that right, do you yeah. think? I, I mean, the Australian TV shows seem to translate really well. There's do they? TV channels in Europe are full of Australian. Australian TV shows, oh, okay. um, and there's, so there's no reason why literature wouldn't as yeah. well. We were um, actually, I was talking to Anne, uh, to Catherine um, Milne, uh, the publisher, about um, whether or not I should do a, an Americanized version of this one because it would be very easy to translate. Mm -hmm. um, it's a story that takes place in little country towns all talk, over. Talk to, I mean, we're going to talk about the book, yeah. so let's do it now. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, tell me the story and tell me how it came to you. Yeah. 
I'll get back to why it, um, it could translate anywhere. Um, the, it's a, a story about a, um, a fellow who burns down his uh, own house yes. um, because his yeah. farm is repossessed by the bank and rather than hand over the keys. And that's topical. Yeah. 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 Well, it, it was topical when I had the idea in, in about 2013. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, it's still topical today. It and is. People are still struggling and banks are still in the headlines, unfortunately. Mm, they are. And they're still taking people's land away from them. Yep. Yeah, they are. I mean, when we were driving through um, the country where this book takes place in February this year, mm. um, there are for sale signs on farm gates all over the southwest of Victoria, mm. which is uh, pretty sad to see. Mm. And um, it's mainly due to drought for those of yeah, yeah. For, for those of our listeners that are living um, overseas. It mm. really is a very tough time for farming right across the country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he um, decides that rather than hand his keys over to the bank, he'll burn his house down as a protest. And uh, he does, but then he gets caught in the fire and, uh, and he dies in the first couple of pages. So that's not a spoiler. Mm. <laughs> um, but his wife is so upset that she decides that uh, she'll turn it into a protest. She'll turn his funeral into a protest. It's set in modern times, but she uh, gets the loan of a, of a horse and cart and puts his coffin in the horse and cart and then heads off from country Victoria towards uh, Melbourne, yeah. um, where his family are from, so uh, to bury him in, in Carlton. Yeah. And uh, the whole town... That's very moving, I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole town joins in. Mm. And, um, and starts to, to drive from country Victoria all through the southwest of Victoria, Geelong, and then up to, to Melbourne as part of this protest. The problem is that every time they pull into a new town, someone burns down a bank or a supermarket. Um, and, uh, the police don't know who it is. Even the people in the funeral procession don't know who's doing it. Um, and uh, so, of course, the police want to shut them down and the media gets involved and it turns into a real circus. Mm. So although it starts on quite a sad note, um, it quickly becomes uh, yeah, quite comic, I would say. Yeah, it, there's, there's quite a bit of humour in it. Okay, talk to me about why it translates so well. Yeah. Because it's a human story? It's a very human story. Um, it's also about, uh, you know, the little person against the world. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, that's a, almost a universal uh, type of theme. Um, and uh, so we talked uh, about putting it, setting it in the US and, and instead of a, a local country cop, you can have a sheriff and instead of it going from um, southwest Victoria through Geelong and up to Melbourne, it can go from Fresno in California um, up to Sacramento. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I started penciling that out and I called Catherine and I said, well, I've got an idea for how we can turn it into an American novel. I've spent a lot of time in North America. I lived in Canada for three years. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and uh, she said, well, actually, I don't think we we will need to because I, I she said, I just had a, a, a buyer in here from Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he'd read the book and he thought it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a that's a Chinese, um, Taiwanese buyer. Um, she said, I, I think it's going to translate uh, quite well mm -hmm. uh, anyway. Mm. I think too. I mean, I guess, you know, if you're looking at Scandi noir fiction, mm. you know, we don't want that setting to change either, do no, we? No, that's you, the whole you, point of the book. No, you wouldn't want a Joan Nesbo book that didn't no. have snow in it. <laughs> that's right. You absolutely don't. Um, yeah, so that's really interesting. Well, congratulations. I mean, the book is really lovely and it is, um, it's funny and it's sad or it's sad and it's sad first and then funny, mm. but it's delightful read. And I think in a way it's kind of old fashioned quirky. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, definitely that? that. Yeah, quirky is the is the word that uh, people associate it with. Yeah. It? And it's definitely the feeling I was going for. Yeah. I want it to be seen. I, I want it to be the sort of book that I like to read. Yeah. I like to read on a plane where I start the book at the start of the trip when I'm going away and I finish it on the plane on the way home. Yeah. Um, or you can read it in a weekend yeah. and it leaves you with a smile. Yeah. Um, it's not something that's going to change your philosophy on life. No. Uh, well, there's a little bit there. Mm. There's the human side of it, I think. You know, I mean, it's certainly a lot of empathy to be had. Um, talk to me about when you come back, like, my parents immigrated, and I talk about this often on the podcast, they immigrated from Lebanon and mm. came to Australia back in the 50s. And, you know, they they went and came back a couple of times before they settled in the 60s. But their memory of their place is so different to what it is now, mm. even in terms of language. So when I've been gone back to Lebanon, people can't even understand my Arabic because the language right. has changed so dramatically. Mm. And, and, you know, they came from a small town, so that's going to happen a little bit more. Do you find that in your observations of coming back, I the think, change? I, well, I see I see the change. Yeah, I've certainly seen changes. Um, and when you're not part of living here, you see the changes even more starkly. I think so, yeah. Um, and uh, so the change in the immigration mix is obvious, um, one that really hits you in the face. But I come back op- often enough that um, that I still feel connected. Uh, I come back two or three times a year this year, and uh, usually it's at least once every six months or, or uh, twice a year if I can do it. Right. And, um, and uh, I think the, um, the thing about being away is that you're constantly having to, when you're talking to other people about Australia, you're having to justify what's happening back home because they read the news mm-hmm. and everyone is connected now. So everything that happens here goes global or viral very quickly. So I'll be going into work and I listen to AM news radio on the way into work every day mm-hmm. um, from Australia. The ABC. The ABC, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I listen too. to Danish news on the way home and, and oh, well. ABC AM on the way into to work. And... Um, so I'll get to work and then someone will have seen something on YouTube or they'll have seen it on Twitter mm. and uh, and they'll be saying to me, did you know that? And then, yes, I did luckily know that. And then um, you have to justify it to them, mm. you, know, or, you know, whether it's immigration um, uh, policy or um, a sporting event or um, uh, crime, something like the, the, the terrible um, mm. things that happened in Sydney here the other day or um, in Melbourne. Mm. Um and they want your opinion on it, and it's something that you have to justify to them. Mm. Why is Australia doing this? And you're the, you're the local Australian, so you have to mm. be able to explain it. Mm. That's not something that you then have to do if you're living here. You can talk about it, and you can be horrified about what happens, or you might be have an opinion or a, a position on it, but you don't have to justify it to people. You don't have mm. to explain how does this happen, why is it happening, and why are you doing that, and so on. And how the hell did we get here? How did we get here? Yeah. Yeah. Tim Slee, thank you very much for speaking with us today. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. 
All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.